Welcome back, everyone, to Once Upon a Phrase. I am your host, Jason. And your other host, Lisa. Before we get started, just a reminder to follow us on Instagram at Once Upon a Phrase. You'll get cool updates on new episodes and hints as to what phrases we're going to talk about. And also, don't forget, after you listen to today's episode, to rate, review, and subscribe. Speaking of today's episode, we are going to focus on numbers. So, Lisa, why don't you get us started with our first Once Upon a Phrase? So, our first Once Upon a Phrase is to kill two birds with one stone. Have you heard that phrase before? Yeah, absolutely. I think this is a pretty common phrase, and I like to think I am an efficient person that often tries to kill two <laughs> birds with one stone. For all of our listeners out there, to kill two birds with one stone means to achieve two different goals or to solve two different problems with one solution. As I mentioned, this is usually my goal to kill two birds with one stone. How often I can do it (laughs) varies, but go on. So this phrase dates back to the early 1600s when they would use a slingshot with a stone to kill birds, right, or hunt any other small animals. So the goal was if you were able to, with that one stone and the slingshot, kill two birds, that was pretty impressive. More like impossible. I can't imagine actually killing two birds with one stone. Right. So the origin of this means exactly that. To kill two birds at one stone essentially first meant that you were taking on too much, you were doing the impossible, and essentially setting yourself up for failure. Hmm. So that's pretty interesting because now I think it means the opposite. Like like I mentioned, I like to I think I'm a very efficient person kill two birds with one stone in a lot of situations Um, and it's it's a sense of pride right it feels good to be that efficient yeah I agree you definitely pride yourself on being very efficient sometimes a little frustrating but hey yeah (laughs) but it's interesting to see how that's morphed over time when like you mentioned more in a positive way than a negative way yeah instead of seeing as hey I just set myself up for failure now it's a badge of honor right So another possible origin for this dates back to the 1600s when philosophers would try to solve two of your problems with just one solution. This often brought up skepticism. They were like, "Eh, there's no way that can happen, right? And raised suspicions amongst people as to how this was even possible. Yeah, it feels lazy, right? Like if you, you know, these philosophers trying to, you know, get, get one over on you, maybe kind of cure-all yeah see I, I kind of feel like that's how um, sometimes it is now with uh, just drink more water <laughs> sometimes it's doc not even doctors as parents anytime something goes wrong just, just drink more water right like when a teenage child you got a headache drink more water not you don't feel more. good drink water. more water <laughs> yes um, <laughs> so yeah I wonder how many of these philosophers were actually being efficient and solving two of your issues with one solution or were they just being lazy which is probably where all the skepticism you were talking about comes from i think it'd be a little bit of both maybe they were um above their time maybe they knew things that we didn't know yet so they were able to be more efficient or maybe they were just being lazy that could be it too well you would hope as you know since they were philosophers that they were you know they were beyond us there's a better way to put that, but that they think better. Correct. I agree. 
Um, so another possible origin dates back to Greek mythology. Are you familiar with the myth of Daedalus? Uh, I am, yes. I imagine most people know this myth as Icarus. Um, the, it's actually the myth of Daedalus and Icarus, but Daedalus gets left out of the story a lot. Right, so short version of the myth refers to Daedalus and Icarus who are in the labyrinth of Crete, and they're stuck up there, right? They're imprisoned, and in order to escape, they take feathers from birds, and they make wings. They essentially fly off. Yeah, to escape, and then they fly too close to the sun, and et cetera. We all know that story. Right, so the story, the part of the story that we essentially don't hear, right, because it's not the most exciting part of it. We tend to kind of shorten things up to the get to the sweet point, especially for our students, my fourth graders especially. Um, but what Daedalus did was he was able to kill two birds with just one stone to be able to gather the feathers to make the wings. Yeah, so he's being efficient. I don't know, this makes me think that it was put in there to relate to something that we're more comfortable with today. Probably you, more familiar with, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, these myths are thousands of years old. Like, I know for a fact the Icarus myth is, you know, somewhere around 4,000 plus years. And that means it's been told orally, it's been written down, it's been changed over time, it's been adapted to this culture or that culture, mean this or that, you know, and it's, I wonder if the two birds with one stone part was put in there to make Daedalus look efficient as opposed to taking on a task that was too big and setting himself up for failure. Definitely could have been. I mean, we see these phrases being used across generations, you know different time periods so I think is a way of expressing how efficient he was with what he had available to him. Yeah. I also think that's just really cool to see how um, even something as old as a myth can have a phrase or a meaning in it that is still being used and people might not know that it's related to that. Right I definitely agree. So Jason what's our next once upon a phrase? All right that is to get the third degree. So I have gotten the third degree once or twice in my life. How about you, Lisa? Um, as once a kid, I definitely feel like I've gotten the third degree from my parents at some point about something I should or shouldn't have been doing. So for those unfamiliar, the third degree means to be intensely questioned about something, whether it's related to you know what you do in your personal life or work you know there's always situations where you need to question somebody and as that questioning gets more and more intense it's called getting the third degree how often do you give your husband the third degree lisa mm. i want to sleep in our comfy bed tonight i'm gonna say not often right babe right <laughs> uh agree question mark <laughs> um you know situations may vary um so when I say third degree, though, right, without, you know, thinking of intense questioning, what's the first thing that comes to your mind when you hear third degree? Honestly, it com what comes to mind is burnt. Yeah, so, and this is what I initially thought it was focused on as well. Um, I would assume, and I think, you know, many people would assume the third degree means, you know, the intensity of a burn related to the intensity of the questioning. Right. I don't know that the third degree is the worst burn. If there's a fourth and fifth and sixth degree burn, 
all to all of our listeners in the medical field, please please feel free to comment and let us know if there are different degrees of burns that we are not aware of. But as far as we know, yeah, third, third degree is pretty bad. Yeah, third degree feels like the worst. So the third degree burn, um, it's intense. The questioning is intense. I used to think it was related to that. That makes sense. Sure. Unfortunately, etymology doesn't always make sense quite like that. Um, it actually goes back further and relates to Freemasonry. Um, any idea or knowledge about what a Freemason is? Not at all. Well, then it's working. A Freemason <laughs> is a secret society. doesn't mean their existence is secret. It's just kind of like their customs, their rituals, their duties. That sort of stuff is secret, right? So there is lots of you know, mysterious nature around, you know, what a Freemason is. But before we get too deep into how Freemason is related to the third degree phrase, just I'm going to give it to you right off their website, what a Freemason is. Um, it's a system or blueprint for the good of a man to further improve his character and actions through its systems of degrees, symbols, and fellowship opportunities. That clear that up for you, Lisa? Nope. <laughs> Me neither. So Sounds enticing, but no. Uh, I guess. Um, <laughs> so even without going down that rabbit hole and finding out exactly what a Freemason is, there are different levels. And this is kind of where the phrase comes into play. The first level, you know, it's an apprentice level. The second one is a fellow craft. And the third level is the Master Mason. And to reach that third degree of Master Mason, you must undergo an intense line of questioning and physical requirements to prove your maturity and your knowledge about life. So, as you reach that third level, that third degree, you get that interrogation process. That kind of was extracted and, you know, more along the lines of, I don't know, what I think of third degree now is like detective questioning somebody, you know? Right, like in the, like all those movies or TV shows when have them in the room and they're trying to figure out what yeah. they did. I think a lot of times the third degree is used especially as a parent when you know your child did something or you know the answer especially and even like in detective work you know the answer. You're just going to give them or the third degree. Or at least you think you know. You just right. need, yeah. So you know, whether it's a cop uh, somebody in the military a parent, a teacher right. and you're giving somebody that third degree and you're interrogating them, we're actually referring to a level of Freemasonry, um, which is something nobody knows anything about because it's a secret society. But somehow some of their secret society methods have made their way out into the real world, and it's used somewhat today. Yeah, and honestly, everything else I know about the Freemasons comes from those National Treasure movies, <laughs> um, which are underrated and awesome. I know you love those. I absolutely love those. And I, I think as a historian, I'm supposed to be ashamed of those movies because of how historically inaccurate they are. Nonsense. I I am enthralled by those movies. Um, but again, those they exaggerate that. I, I think whenever you think of anything related to Freemasonry, and you get that idea of, is it religion? Is it a conspiracy theory? Is it, like I said, it's a deep rabbit hole of what that is. But 
we are extracting something from Freemasonry that a lot of people say, and that's the third degree intensity of questioning. All right, Lisa, why don't you take us into our next phrase? All right, our third once upon a phrase today is giving your two cents. Are you familiar with this phrase, Jason? Not only am I familiar with the phrase, I love to give my two cents. <laughs> I think my two cents are very, very important. I try every opportunity. Heck, that's part of the reason we started a podcast was to give our two cents about things. I definitely agree that Jason loves to give his two cents. <laughs> Want it or not. <laughs> <laughs> so for all of our listeners out there, giving your two cents is providing a piece of information that isn't of much value. Disclaimer, that does not mean this podcast is not of much value. This one's full of lots of value. Yes, this is extremely valuable, but carry on. So uh, the full phrase is actually my two pennies worth. Which, by the way, sounds way cooler. I agree. I would definitely like to give my two pennies worth, um, and I would probably say it more often. Um, so that's a pretty awesome phrase. But I think, like with all of these phrases we've discussed, or a lot of them at least, we're all about shortening things up. Like, remember one of our first episodes, The Bee's Knees? Yeah, or, or Goodbye, both right. from episode two, um, Let's Get Medieval. Right, they just take one phrase and it's slowly shortened and shortened and shortened until it's easier to come off the tongue, right? Really quick correction, episode three, Let's Get Medieval. All right, so there are many theories as to where this phrase comes from. Bigfoot alert. Sorry, our Bigfoot words. Those are words, if you remember, um, from a prior episode with phrases that have a lot of theories, and they are hard to prove but easy to disprove. So let's hear some of these theories. So this first theory I think you're going to like. So this first theory has to do with poker. How familiar are you with poker? The game itself, very familiar. I, I know how to play. Winning, not so much. Mm. And you're more of a blackjack guy, so. Yes, I, that I have had more success. I have a buddy that's extremely good at poker, and I feel like as good as he is at poker, I'm equally as bad. <laughs> if you could, you know, imagine that. But. Okay, so for those of you that are familiar or unfamiliar with playing poker, so poker is a card game that usually takes place around a table. And usually there's a lot of conversations that happen because you're just hanging out for usually hours at a time playing a game. Um, what is discussed at these tables? I don't know. Of course not our wives, right, honey? I can neither confirm nor deny that wives are the topic of discussion at these poker days. About how much you love us, right? <laughs> I don't know what I'm supposed to say here, guys. Help me out. Yes is the right answer, right? You want to sleep in the comfy bed? Yes is the yes, answer. Yes, then it's yes. All right, so because, you know, there's lots of conversation happening at these games, in order to join a poker game, you always have to pay an ante, like a fee, to join in the game, right? So it was said that the ante was two cents. So that by giving your two cents to join the poker game, you're essentially joining in in the conversation. Sort of like buying your way into the conversation, you're offering your, okay, I I can't imagine this is the actual one, um, but this one's really cool. Yeah, it's too it's too tied up with a nice bow at the top. It's too neat and organized for it to be. Yeah, I, I think this is something that was invented as an explanation afterwards, um, and it might have gotten some play as you know the, 
the popular myth as to where this phrase comes from um, because of how neat the bow is. But I will say it's a pretty cool origin or theory. I think it's a pretty cool one too, but I don't necessarily think that's where it may have come from. Some of the theories I think make a little bit more sense. So did you know that postage to send a letter used to cost only two pennies? No. Um, I, I mean, I know postage still doesn't cost a lot. What's it? Stamp like 45 cents or something? 42 cents? I honestly don't even know because I do everything electronically. The only time I ever have to buy postage is to buy Christmas cards. And I'm already just swiping my card, so it's just an added cost. Yeah, so. But definitely more than two pennies, for yes, sure. Yes, which, like I said, a stamp is probably still probably not that much, but I mean, greater than two pennies. So the reason I say this is that in the past, um, postage was only two cents. And before the age of technology, when we could text someone or call someone, if we wanted to talk to someone, share our thoughts, we would have to write a letter and then stamp that penny, two penny postage onto that envelope and send it out. That sounds awful, by the way. I hate having to write a letter every time I need to communicate with someone. You don't want to write me love letters? I want to send you love text messages, I guess. I, ho- I hope I get a love text message tomorrow. TBD. We'll see. <laughs> I'll keep you guys updated. Hopefully, I have one in my inbox tomorrow. Yeah, I'll tell you what you're not getting tomorrow, though, is a letter. Because it's not <laughs> 1886 anymore. You still got to woo me. All right. So, another, another origin of this was in the 1500s, the British term two pence or tuppence which referred to items or concepts that were not given much worth. The postage theory that you brought up, you know, with the actual two pennies postage stamp, um, I feel like that's probably closer to the origin because it's, again, in more literal sense, you were paying two cents to have your thoughts shared with somebody. Right. Um, but this term, tuppence, to have little or no value, I wonder if that's closer to how we do things today. Do you think when people actually share their two cents, do you think they believe it actually has no value and they're just kind of saying something? Or do you think people believe that what they're sharing is valuable and that's just kind of their shield? Just in case it's bad advice or you don't like what they have to say, you know, they're not responsible for it. I think it's a little bit of both depending on the person. I think some people throw that term around just to kind of shield themselves just in case what they say is silly or ridiculous where I think some people don't have the confidence to stand behind what they're saying so they assume it just has no little has little to no value to it and may be surprised when the reaction is oh wow that's a great piece of information so I think it's subjective to the environment you're in okay I, I guess I'm a little bit more cynical I kind of just feel like people, People think what they have to say is has value, and some people are a little bit more crude about it, and they just, because what they say is more valuable than maybe what you're saying, they'll use the two cents argument to kind of chime in and be like, you know, this is my thoughts, listen to me, um, but again, using that two cents idea as their shield. Okay, so I mean, on the same idea of this, why don't we just say, here's what I think. So, so going back to what I said, I, I think if you were to jump into a conversation and say, you know, what I think, you're putting your stamp on that. You're saying this is what I believe. Um, 
and this is you know why I believe it. But when you just offer your two cents, your tuppence, your piece of information with little or no value, you're it's your get out of jail free card. You okay, know? so you're like prefacing like, hey, I'm not saying what I say is gonna have any value to it, but here's what it is. So yeah. you don't have to you don't have to give it the stamp of approval. Exactly. And and again, this is I think something that I would say evolved from the, the postage theory. You know, it's it was literally two cents worth of information because that's how much it cost. Right. And we changed that to mean, you know, this is my thoughts, take it or leave it. You know? That makes sense. I mean, similarly like when we say for what it's worth or whatever it's worth, they mean the same thing. Yeah, and you know, I hear this a lot from my students too, because you know, and I've probably said for what it's worth way more than, you know, here's my two cents. Um, but whenever, you know, my students or even my daughter talks, it's they usually try and say something that I I think they believe has value. And then at the very end of it they'll wrap it up with I'm just saying. So I wonder if the <laughs> I'm just saying is the new version of here's my two cents. I definitely think it has a similar meaning because you're kind of not putting your stamp of approval. But I think that I'm just saying is a little bit different because giving your two cents, you have to preface the beginning of your conversation with that kind of already beginning with like, hey, what I'm about to say after these words has little to no value. You're already prefacing the conversation with that. Okay, okay. Whereas I'm just saying after you've said something and you kind of read the room, if the room doesn't seem to be receptive of what you're saying, then you say that. It's like, oh, yeah, no, 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 I'm just saying. You kind of like you pull it back. Okay. Yeah, I could see that. Makes me think of what look is on my face when my <laughs> students share information with me that they have to go with. I mean, I'm just saying. I mean, I see the look on your face when I share silly things before bed. So, I mean, I can just imagine what you look like to your students when they're sharing their silly stories to you. I should probably work on my facial expressions. I'm just saying. <laughs> um, there's also a good chance we dug way too deep into a very simple phrase. But um, that's the point of this, to yeah. give our two cents, right? Yeah, except hopefully this has value. <laughs> <laughs> so, Jason, lead us home. What is our fourth once upon a phrase? So our final once upon a phrase is to 86 something. To 86 something. Lisa, have you ever 86 anything? I have. And what does it mean? It means to get rid of or end something. Yeah, so very common. Um, and uh, also one of my favorite ones so far. And I, I feel like that's something I've been saying on every podcast because um, I'm always finding new words and phrases that are my new favorites. <laughs> um, but this one might be it. Uh, this is a classic example of a Bigfoot phrase. Um, lots of theories. Hard to prove any of them, easy to disprove all of them. Um, and there was a long list of theories on where the phrase 86 comes from. Um, one was it was a military term, um, the Uniform Code of Military Justice, Justice, Article 86, is, you know, the statute on going AWOL, and that means you're gone or, you know, you're away. There was a theory that it came from, you know, the mess hall when you're, you know, soldiers are in line getting food that in a pot of soup there was 86 ladles worth of soup and after that they were out you're telling me that they had it down to a science of 86 ladles in a um, pot of soup i just think that's crazy 
So I will say things in the military are very uniform. Okay. Um, but again, hard to prove, easy to disprove. This one feels like it's too... Kind of just like puzzle pieces happen to fit together doesn't mean they necessarily work. Yes, exactly. So the, again, there was a lot more like this. Um, some thoughts were, you know, there was uh, bus drivers and subway drivers would stop at 86th Street Station and toss the drunks off, or that when a cop messed up on the job, he was sent to the 86th Precinct to shape up. Um, Those sound a little iffy as well. Yeah, so again, these are the theories that were just sort of circulated, and I think because people found coincidence. Yeah, they fit. Yeah, something happened um, on 86th Street, or the AWOL code and the military uniform code of justice was the 86th article. You know, they're finding coincidences after the fact. But there are some more popular, more interesting ones that I think have a little bit more merit. Um, One of them comes from the history and stories of the best bars in New York by Jeff Klein, and he suggests that there was a bar called Chumley's that during the time of Prohibition would get a tip from the cops before the bar was raided. They would say, you know, coming, time to 86 your customers. And there was a back door on 86th Street, and all the customers would leave through the back door on 86th, and the cops would come in through the front door, and the 86th is customers, he got rid of them. I like that, because if the cops were calling to help you out, they couldn't say, hey, the cops are coming, please get rid of everybody. They had to give you a code so that everyone else didn't know what they were doing. Yeah, especially during the time of Prohibition, Prohibition yeah. Yes. We talked about this on our 1920s episode. Um, you know, people like Capone had everybody in their pocket, you know, politicians, cops. They find a sneaky little code to get yeah. your point across without getting caught up. And the back door's on 86th Street, send your customers up. This is one, I, I think it's similar to your poker story. Um, you want to believe it. Yeah, I want to believe it. Because it's cool. It's cool, exactly. And etymology is cool. And if you're listening to this podcast. Um, I hope you find it cool, too. So yeah, we do this. It, it's it's, it's the fun story, and it's the one that gets circulated a lot. Um, but it's probably not the exact origin. Um, I, from my research, it seems to be that the actual origin of 86 seems to come from the service industry, specifically restaurants. So I myself worked in a restaurant for about 10 years. I worked as a waitress for eight months. To all my waitresses out there, I don't know how you do it. Kudos to you. Yes, the amount of stories Lisa has for only being there for eight months is ridiculous. But um, it seems to be that there was uh, restaurant code or slang that was commonly used throughout restaurants to help the staff communicate with each other more effectively. And it was numbers, like, you know, 13 meant the boss was around, 81 meant the table needed more water, 86 meant that you were all out of something. So when you need, you know, a quick way to communicate with your cook or your manager or, you know, you're too busy to stop and have an actual conversation about something that needs to be done, these codes were used to speed up that process. That makes sense because working in a restaurant, it was chaotic and they didn't have time to have a full-blown conversation. You had to learn to communicate with your staff in a variety of ways to get your point across without using too many words. Yeah, and they, like I said, for anybody that's worked in that industry, they understand how, you know, you you need to be as efficient as possible. Right. 
So what seems to happen is, you know, after you get out of the restaurant industry, because I feel like most people, maybe not most people, but a lot of people at some point work in restaurants or retail or something like that. And in those situations, you move on to different jobs. Right. Well, that kind of happened here as people familiar with those terms moved into other fields later on in life, they brought the terminology with them. So even though it's mostly restaurants in the 20s, by the 30s, it becomes more common in other um, areas. By the 40s, you start seeing it pop up in newspapers and radios and, you know, other forms of media. And those, you know, that phrase just got adopted into other life forms. And people started to use those phrases for not anything to do with, you know, eating out of a steak on the menu. I think that's so cool with all these phrases we've discussed over the last few episodes that they do kind of just transcend time to different environments. Because I know when I hear my students or a teenage daughter use certain phrases, they act like they're the first ones who ever have used it. It's a brand new phrase. It's like, oh yeah, I know what that one means. We used that when we were teenagers. We used that when we were kids. Oh, it's not cool anymore. We used it. No, because, yeah, exactly. But um, all it takes is the right form of media. You know, like whether it's a new Netflix show or it comes up in a song. Or, a TikTok, or, a meme, so, yeah. Yeah. Um, all of a sudden, that phrase, now it may have a little different spin on it. It may have a different interpretation of it. But I think the core is the same. It still has the same origin story. It does still have the same Now, every time a new layer gets added, though, the origin story gets harder to find. Agreed. I do think possibly two, three hundred years from now, when somebody is talking about, you know, etymology, they might only be able to track, you know, something that, as it was said in the year 2020, not knowing that it might go back to the year 1820. Um, I can see that's true. Because so many layers have been added. Um, but, you know, when it's all said and done, I think that's what language is, you know, and I think that's why you're a huge fan of linguistics, because you can appreciate how things evolve over time. It's just crazy things that you thought were just so minuscule have such a deep history into why they're said and, you know, what what dates back to that time, which is really cool. Yeah, and I've even gotten feedback from, you know, some of my friends after they listen to episodes that are like, oh, my God, we say that all the time, and we never even thought about where it came from. And I think that's the case for a lot of these phrases. You just say them. You've heard them, or even if you don't say them, you've heard them enough that you know what they mean, but you would never guess that they came from a Greek myth or prohibition or restaurant industry. But on that note, I think it's time to 86 this podcast. So we will leave you at that. Um, Please remember to follow us on Instagram at Once Upon a Phrase. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to keep up with our latest episodes. All right, until next time, everyone, goodbye. (laughs) Goodbye.